Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. In Jesus' name, it is with privilege that I uh, welcome to this pulpit this morning someone who is just an awesome lady of God. I'm thankful for her and her family. I'm thankful for everything that they do for this church. I, I really enjoy listening to her teach. She has a heart for teaching, and I'm thankful for her ministry. And I wonder if you'll welcome Sister Amanda Gibson here this morning. Clap your hands to the Lord. That's the real Amanda Gibson right there. <laughs> that sounded nice, though, Brother Chris. <laughs> Sounded nice. Well, thank you guys. It's so nice to be here again. And uh, just once again, want, want to say thank you uh, for the privilege it is to be here in church with you and to worship with you, um, to have the opportunity to come and teach. And I want to give honor to my pastor. I want to give honor to my husband, to the ministry, and to all of our wonderful church family. Um, I want to welcome all of our guests and uh, just thank you for being here. And it's so good to have you and hope that you return and become our family. And I want to wish all of our dads a happy Father's Day. It's, there's something special about a dad, and that's coming from a girl. And um, to be honest with you, I, I wasn't raised with a dad. But I'm very close to my dad today, and I'm thankful for that, because God does things like that. And I'm, I'm thankful for it. So I can tell you that as dads, you have very important roles today. And um, but we appreciate you very much. Uh, last time I got up here, um, I was asked to bring snacks. <laughs> and um, so aren't you thankful for donuts with dad? <laughs> I can't take credit for that, but um, I'm thankful that you did have some snacks. Um, <laughs> um, but today we're going to talk um, about our third lesson in the discipleship project. I'm going to have you sit down in just a, a second, I promise. Um, the third lesson and the series title is Becoming Who We Are. The first lesson that Pastor preached a couple of weeks ago was that we're called to be saints. And becoming who we are, it's important to know that we're called to be saints. Last week, Brother Rayleigh also taught an awesome message on becoming who we are and that we're empowered by the Spirit. Okay, and today I have a third lesson and it's going to be separated from the world. Okay. And um, I don't want anybody to gasp or walk out <laughs> just about that. But I realize, I want you to know that I realize that I'm no different than you. Um, I realize that everybody in here comes from a different walk of life. And that everybody in here is in a different part of that walk with God. There are some that have been walking with God for decades. There are some that have stories that are 40, 50, 60 years old. And I appreciate that. There are some that may have just made a decision to walk with God just a few years ago. Maybe it's been a couple months ago. 
there may be some that may have not have made that decision just yet. And there may be some that will make that decision today. And I just pray that the Holy Ghost will help me speak something to everybody, to everyone. Because we all have these unique stories and we can't rewrite that beginning. We can't rewrite that start. But we can change the ending. I believe that. Amen. So if you'll join me in prayer, I'll have you sit down after that because I sure could use your prayer. Thank you, Lord. God, I love you today, Jesus. Lord, we welcome you, Lord. We welcome your presence in this place, God. Lord, I ask you, Jesus, Lord, to speak a word, God, to plant it, God, into each and every heart, God. Lord, I know that I am nothing, God, and I ask you, Lord, to take this nothing, God. Lord, anointed God to be an instrument, God, to reach, God, the lost today. Lord, Jesus, help me, God, I pray. Lord, I'm weak, God, and you are strong, God. Lord, I pray for each and every one here, God, that, Lord, your word would go forth, Jesus. Lord, God, that we would receive your word, God, in love, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I love you, and I thank you for it. I thank you for it. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. He's so good. He's so good. He's so good. You can be seated. He is so good. I want to take a short text from a, a verse that's pretty familiar to a lot of us. It's 1 Peter 2 and 9. It says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. It's a good scripture. It kind of it makes me just makes my faith jump a little bit. And, you know, it's okay. Sometimes we have to re- be reminded of who we are, who we're becoming, like the, like the lesson says. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you today about. I want to talk to you about two different things and becoming who you are. It's hard. I want to talk to you first about the struggle to live holy in, a, in an unholy world. And then I want to talk to you about and just remind you who you are. Okay. So becoming who we are, the lesson is since God reckons us to be holy, we should live life separated from the world. Don't disengage just yet. Sometimes as Christians, we, we come up with our, these words and then we use them. And sometimes we use them so much that they either lose their value or sometimes people that haven't been in church a long time, they don't know what those words really mean. <laughs> and so I try to be careful um, as much as I can, and I've learned that, especially rubbing shoulders with teenagers, they talk a lot different than we do. And so, you know, I'm real careful about using their language because I don't know what it means either. But, um, but you know, I try to make sure that even they understand. And so a lot of times when I teach Sunday school, I want to make sure that they know what holy means. I want to make sure that they know what the world means. And it, I'm not saying it as a part that, I, hey, I'm, I'm up here. I want them to know because I see them up there. So the word holy, the word holy is a definition, really means just a moral and a spiritual excellence. It's about, about setting things in your life at a high standard. I, you know, that's one thing in, in my life I've been raised to do is just put excellence in what you do. I don't, you know, don't just do things just half, halfway, 
you know. I've always been just put excellence in what you do in school and work and what you give and how you treat people. Do your best at it. And holiness really is, is doing that. It's offering God that best. It's about living, living life at a, a moral and a spiritual excellence. It's godly. It's dedicated to God. It's things that are devoted to God. Okay? And then there's a definition of the world. Now, the Bible has several different concepts of the world, one being like a physical world, obviously, where we live, what God created and that. But it also has other categories like the moral world and the temporal world. And that's more or less what I want to talk about is that world. It's the world that we actually do live in. The temporal world is basically the opposite of the holy that we talked about. It's your ungodly. It's your evil. It's your wicked. It's corrupt. It's dark. Materialistic. Temporal. It's that. And honestly, I'm an optimist, and and as an optimist, I don't really like those words very much. They kind of don't go in my vocabulary very much. However, I'm I'm wise enough to know that I need to know about it because that's the world I live, that I don't live, on, I don't live in heaven just yet. That's the coming world. <laughs> so I need to know. I need to be aware. I need to be aware of the world that I live in and make sure that I, I train the ones that are behind me to know what it is as well. So the first part of, the, of the, what I want to talk about is believers, us, that's us. We face an ongoing struggle to live holy in an unholy life, in an unholy world. And I'm not trying to be ugly or judgmental. I promise I'm not. But the reality is that it's, it's sometimes difficult to live as Christians in an ungodly world, surrounded by an ungodly world. That's just the reality. And I don't believe that comes as a surprise to anybody, especially if you ever read the daily headlines or if you scrolled through social media. I don't think I've ever witnessed so much hatred and ungodliness and I don't think I have. I don't think I've, I've I don't think I've witnessed ever just so much offense. And it's enough to it's, it doesn't just ever settle with me. You know, and I know that there's always going to be problems, but it don't settle with my spirit. It don't mix well with me. I don't I don't like it. It makes me sad. It hurts my heart to see that. But knowing that, I have to always go back to this because Scripture repeatedly challenges us to come out from among them and be ye separate. Be separate from that hatred. Be separate from that offense. Be separate from it. It says, come out from among thee and be ye separate. Say it the Lord and touch not the unclean thing. Don't touch it. Don't touch the things that are of the world. And it says he will receive us. He also challenges us to be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. And then he reminds us, Jesus said, I have chosen you out of this world. He's chosen us out. He has separated us for a reason. There is a reason and a purpose. When I think about separation and how difficult that it could be, sometimes... I have to look into the word and I think of Daniel and I think about here's a, a young man who was actually just taken and placed into a difficult situation, placed into, it could be our modern day work. Maybe it's our modern day college 
And he was placed in that. And so, like we know, we don't make the rules at work. I don't know if any of us are that fortunate, but, you know, we have to abide by rules. We have to abide by regulations. And, and he was no exception to that. And he actually was so talented and he had so many gifts that he was looked at. And so when it came to be, oh, well, we want you to be part of this program. Here's what we want you to do. When he saw those things, he said, well, there are certain things I can't do. What am I going to do? What do I do? He wasn't disrespectful. He wasn't holier than thou. Well, I'm, I'm this, so I'm not going to. He was not nasty. <laughs> okay. He was very respectful, and so he made a request. And he said, you know, I, if I can, I, there's, I can show you. I, I don't do these things, and, but I'll, I'll show you. If you allow me, things, I'll show you how that it'll work out. And they did. He was very respectful, and he treated people really well, and and that's what happened. He got to, to do, um, he got to not compromise those things that he had set out. And because so, he had the, re- the results spoke for themselves. God was there for him. And because he didn't compromise on God's part, God didn't compromise on Daniel's part. He, he held to his godly commitment, and God did the same. And I think about that, I think we all probably have some stories in the workplace to where we know that we spend so much time there. We spend so much time in these atmospheres that really aren't very fond of holy living. Um, they're not. They, they're not really geared towards the, the godly. They're not really geared towards what's morally. That's not their, you know, typically it's, hey, we need to make a profit. And that is a lot that goes in the jobs. I get it. Uh, I, I really get that. But we can do that. And still be model, and still be godly. We can do that. We can still work in our jobs, and we can still go to school and still hold just like Daniel to a godly lifestyle. Okay. And sometimes we're around so much, so much, so much that it gets unfiltered, and so we get thankful for the refreshings on Wednesday nights and Sundays to where we can just block all that out. I'm not there right now, so we can get a refreshing because other days it's just like we're drowning in worldliness. We're drowning in it. And sometimes it's easy to become accustomed to, sometimes comfortable in those type of circumstances. But we have to be careful because we can find ourselves adapting to some of those world's thinking and the world's values. You know, there's, there's things out there that a lot of times we can end up, even, even unintentionally, well, everybody else is doing it. You know, and, and so we can find justification for anything that we do. We really can. Doesn't make it right, but it, it just justifies and it feels better. And I'm not saying that it's easy. I know it's not. I I attended public school, and and I can remember in high school, um, our school had about 2,500 students, and my sister and I were the only apostolic girls there. And um, we, we know what it was like. We know the pressures. We know um, we were those, those girls in those skirts. <laughs> and to be quite honest with you, the person that was the nicest to us was the only Islamic girl. <laughs> um, but see, God will do that. God will do that. And, and, you know, and you live right, and God will honor it. And he did. God definitely honored it. I've attended secular college. I've taken courses on um, religion. I can really, I can talk to you about Islam. I can tell you about Hindu. And you know what? I can tell you how much it's not true. 
I can tell you taking religion classes made me more grounded in Christianity than ever. But that's the way it can be. Because if I open my, if I open my mind to unrestricted, it could have been different. So I want to tell you, and I've worked in a secular job all my life. I've worked from the bottom, and I've, I've worked and got promotions, thankfully. And I can tell you that it can be difficult. It can be difficult to, people don't understand. They don't understand you as a leader. They don't understand you as a Christian leader. So when you make a choice just based on what's best, it's not going to mesh with them very much sometimes. So you can get some opposition, and I, I certainly understand that. I know rejection, and I know persecution for making godly choices. So here's the question. Now, I ask myself questions all the time. You can say I'm crazy for talking to myself, but I ask myself questions because I want to remind myself. I want to make sure that I'm certain that I know that I know that I know. So I ask myself questions, and, and a lot of times when we get in Sunday school, I ask them questions because I want the dialect. I want them to know. I want to know what they're thinking. And so I have to remind myself, and we have to talk about it sometimes. And so you, I know, and a lot of times, you know, we can sit out in a crowd out there. I know where you sit. And sometimes a preacher can be preaching something so good, and you're like, well, is it okay to ask a question right now? And it's not. I get it. So this is what I would do if I was there, and I hear someone talking about, hey, you need to live holy in, a, in an ungodly world. I'd be like, well, How? How? How do you do that? How do you try to balance living holy in such an unholy world? So I want to help answer that question for you, okay? And if I gave you one piece of advice, my first advice would be to have a made-up mind. There is nothing more important than having your mind made up. I'm going to tell you, sometimes you have to fight the battle before the battle even begins. Sometimes before you go to work, you need to go ahead and have some things settled. Before you go to school, you need to go ahead and have things settled. You have to have that battle won before you even go. Okay? That's, and that is the truth. And we look how? How do we balance it? Well, the Bible says be not conformed to this world. And then it answers it how. How do we not be conformed to this world? By the renewing of your mind. You have to fight the battle before the battle begins. It's right here in your thoughts. And sometimes, you know, I know what Monday morning feels like. I know what a two-hour drive to Tampa feels like. <laughs> and you know what? My mind can wake up thinking, I really don't want to do this today. But you know what? I gotta, I've got to make up my mind to say, you know what? This isn't going to bother me today. Not today, Satan, and not tomorrow either. Sometimes you've got to have a made-up mind. I'm not going to have that discussion today. This is not up for discussion. This is not up for negotiation. Sometimes you have to say, God, put your hand upon my mouth before I speak it. Sometimes you need to say, I'm not gossiping today. You have to fight the battle before it even begins. Don't allow that unrestricted access to your thoughts. Don't allow them just to go and wander. Because the Bible says in Isaiah 59 and 19, it says, when the enemy comes in like a flood. It doesn't say if the enemy comes in like a flood or possibly the enemy can come in. It's not like a weather forecast and, hey, he's coming. It's about the rain. It's not like that. Anybody out there know what it's like to have the enemy come in like a flood? Let me tell you something. If you have a made-up mind... 
The rest of the scripture says the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against it. Amen. He'll lift up a standard against it. That's what it's about to have a made up mind. You have your mind made up. And when that enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will, let, will raise up a standard. I want to share a couple, speaking of standards, and not the kind of standards you may be thinking. I want to share a little bit of, of a lesson that I taught in my Sunday school a couple months ago. Again, I told you I, I asked questions. And one of the questions I asked, we were talking just about life, just about stuff like this, the world. And so I got curious, and I said, who sets your standards it's a valid question. And by that, I mean like your principles. Brother Rayleigh speaks a lot about our benchmark. That's what I'm talking about, okay? Who sets those or what sets those? How do you basically determine what's right and what's wrong? Because every day we face that decision. What's right? What's wrong? This is good. This is not. So what, where do you set that? Who sets that or what sets that? How do you determine what's right and wrong and, or what you will do or what you won't do? I asked them that, and I asked myself that. I have to, because you see I'm like a mess. And so sometimes I just got to stop and say, whoa. <laughs> okay. Does culture set your standard? Or the world? It's possible. Can I tell you a little bit about culture and the world, what I've realized in my 29 plus years? I can tell you that culture in the world is ever-changing. And it gets more confusing. <laughs> Every day. Fashions and fads, I, I can't keep up with it. I, I'm very plain Jane, and I probably will be forever. I just can't keep up with all that. It, it, it cracks me up sometimes. You see, well, the 80s are back. Why? And then they're out, and then, you know, it's something else. And, and, you know, they change so much, I can't keep up. Technology, you know, I, I can't base my standards of technology. It gets outdated. Two weeks ago, I, I bought a, um, a new MacBook because mine was old, and it went through college with me, and it's barely survived Zachary. And um, I'm so thankful for this laptop, you know. I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. And I turn it on. And it says, um, you have an update available. <laughs> what? what do you mean? It's already kind of like, it came outdated. That's so not fair, you know. Um, but you can't, that's just not something I'm going to set my standard on because I, I promise you it's going to change. And, you know, uh, you know, I love technology. I do love technology. And, and, and Bobby got this new phone, and I can't stand it. It has no button. <laughs> what do you press? <laughs> <laughs> I can't take it. But, you know, that's just how fast technology changes. And the same thing with money and investments. They lose their value. You can't really depend on it, you know. So basically, you can't look to the world to tell you how to live, to set that standard for you, or to tell you what's right and what's wrong because, they're, you know, what was right today is probably going to be wrong tomorrow, and then what was wrong might be right in a year. You just don't know. You can't trust on it. It's too shaky. And I'll be honest with you, I, I really don't want to look to them 
for my standards. I tell you, sometimes I, I told my daughter, I scrolled through social media or some news articles, and sometimes I feel forced. I didn't ask to see this. <laughs> you know, and there's, there's certain celebrities that just, I shouldn't, I don't even, don't even care. <laughs> but they make headlines. And, you know, to be completely honest with you, they're, they're superficial, yes, but they only appear happy when they're getting attention. And I really don't want to give them attention. <laughs> but I'm not going to set my standards to something like that. And it's not because I don't love them or care about their soul. It's I don't want to set my standards to be like that. I can't look to the world to answer my prayers. I can't look to them to give me strength. So I can't look to them to set my standard. So where do, you, where do you set it? You know, some people say, well, I, I kind of just know I'll use myself, and that's the bar. And, I, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't trust myself to set my own standards. I, I know that I need a God that's bigger than me. I know that I need a God that's wiser than me, that he's kind of been around this block a time or a million times. And not only that, but he knows the future, too. He knows what's in my destiny. I know that I need that. I know that I need a God that's greater than me. I need a source that's greater than me because I know how weak I am without him. So I choose to live by his standards. And I'm thankful that he's given us a standard. And the standard that I love that he's given us of how we set, where we are and how we're going to live, is that he calls us his children. He calls us his. You know, there's certain things we do because... I'm Joel's daughter. There's certain, you know, there's certain things that you do because of who you are. And to be the son and the daughter of God, of the King of Kings, that's an amazing standard that he's given us. John, or 1 John 3 and 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that he would call us the sons or children of God. And then it continues, says, Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not and that is so true so here we have this wonderful love of the father and the world don't know us because of it they go together but to live beneath that standard of his child to live below that and to live by my own or to live by the world's that would be like Eve and, and trying to speak to something that I should have just stepped on. It's true. So what I want to do about answering that question for you, how do you do it? I would love for you on your time to think about the areas of your life where you feel weak. And in those areas, I want you to know you need to maybe put some standards. Set some standards there. I want to tell you the devil's a liar because he'll tell you, no, you don't. And, you know, YOLO, you only live once. And, and the world will just confuse you. <laughs> I'm serious. You can Google and get ten different answers about that question, I'm sure. But I can tell you that the standards of what it means to be a Christian is best set by the one who made them. So don't live below that. So don't be live below that you are his child. And, and, and so I want to come to the second part and tell you, just to remind you of who you are. That's my favorite part. <laughs> I love to give some people some encouragement. I love to give people hope. I love to remind you. I know we rub shoulders with some bad stuff all week long. So I want to give you some hope. I want to remind you who you are. 
our text, it tells us that we are a whole bunch of things. And so I want to go through them. But I want to tell you that just as important it is to have a made-up mind, it's equally as important to know who you are and whose you are. They go together. I'll tell you like I tell my kids. Know whose you are so the world can't confuse you about who you are. And I know that if I send my, my kids to school knowing whose they are, that they are a child of God, that they are precious in his sight, that the world's not going to confuse them. They can't confuse them about who they are. So I'll tell you like I tell my kid, know whose you are so the world can't confuse you about who you are. And you remind yourself of this lesson, becoming who you are. I'm becoming who I am. You remind yourself of the lessons. I am a saint. I am empowered by the Spirit. Know who you are. Let me tell you our, our greatest example, Jesus. He knew he was God. He was God and he knew it. Okay? Regardless if the world worshipped him or the world rejected him, he still knew who he was. The Bible says that he was chosen of God and precious. But the Bible also says that he was disallowed indeed of men. He was the example to us that we're seldom going to have the approval of God and the approval of the world at the same time. It's just not really going to happen. But I will tell you that it's always better to have the rejection of men than the rejection of God. Amen. So know who you are. You remind yourself, I am a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And I have been called out of darkness, the world, into his marvelous light. So chosen generation. Oh, it's pretty special to feel chosen. That's awesome. That's a great feeling. If you've ever won an award or, or if we really want to go old school and go back to the playground. And I don't really like that. But um, <laughs> does it bring back the best of memories? You know, where there's normally two team captains and they start picking. Well, I picked this person. And man, it stinks to be last. Maybe nobody's been there. <laughs> Last year, we, um, some of us had went to town and played volleyball, and that happened. You know, they had two captains, and they started picking, and I said, oh, no. Why? Can't we just one, two, one, two? <laughs> but fortunate for me, my husband was the captain, so he had to pick me. And uh, <laughs> I'm thankful that he did. I think because I think if it came down to it, it's going to be either me or Paisley at the end. <laughs> she might be a little faster than me too. I think she is. <laughs> but it feels special to be chosen. And I want to tell you that Jesus chose you. He said that you haven't chosen him, but that he has chosen you. We're not here today just because we made the last minute decision just to come to church. I hope we didn't come just to have the donuts. <laughs> that was great. But there's a reason why you're here. And the Lord wants you to know that you're chosen. We're saved, according to Ephesians 1 and 4, it says, because God chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love. That's amazing. That he chose us before the foundation of the world. I love it. Now you, like me, may have faced rejection in life. You may know what it's like not to get a promotion that you deserved. Maybe you weren't given a, a raise that you were promised. 
Maybe you were looked over for a job that you applied for. Ever been left out or forgotten by friends? Let down by family? <laughs> amen, amen, amen a million times. But you do have a security in knowing that God wants you. That he chose you, that he loves you. That is a wonderful security. The Bible says that we're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. There's just something I love about that. And I, I'll tell you, I'm intrigued by the royal family. I'm sorry if that it disappoints you. Um, <laughs> Riley would tell you, she would exaggerate and say I'm a little bit obsessed, but really it's just because secretly she shares my interest. Um, but, <laughs> but the current reigning monarch in Britain is Queen Elizabeth II. And really, if you, if you know a little bit about her, she really wasn't supposed to be queen. She's really not supposed to be the head of the state. But her uncle was, actually. Her uncle was the chosen. He, they went through his line. But he abdicated the throne because he didn't want to live by those royal standards. You know, the royal standards are, hey, you have to marry a certain way. You have to eat a certain way. You have to act a certain way. He said, I just really don't want it. So I'm going to throw away my crown and hand it over. And he did. And so at that point, his younger brother, which is Elizabeth's father, became king unexpectedly. That wasn't supposed to happen. But unexpectedly, her father became ill when she was a young adult, and he died. And there she is, and all of a sudden, she's queen. Okay. So unexpectedly, she ended up in this role, and she has spent her entire life devoted to that crown. And I'll tell you what fascinates me. The thing that fascinates me is, is that she is the longest reigning monarch of all time. 66 years. She's on her 66th year. And so for those that understand what it was like 66 years ago, know that there has been a lot of changes. She's outlived and outreigned presidents galore. She has gone through wars and calamities, the changes in people and culture. She's still reigning, Right? All the tabloids, the adversity she faces, lack of privacy. And she still holds those very strict standards of the crown. And many people would argue, man, those rules are outdated. They're unnecessary. You know, they don't really have to do that. But to this day, the royal family lives by very strict standards from important life choices to daily routines and decisions. They live very different than the rest of the people. And if we were to go biblically in the Old Testament, priests devoted their entire lives to serving God. Everything about the priest's lives was governed by that role. I am a priest. So I'm going to act and I'm going to conduct myself in this way. Just like the queen says, I am the queen. Like it or not, this is the role I'm in. This is how I'm going to, this is how I'm, I'm going to do it. But the priest, everything was governed by that role. The scriptures dictated his choice of wife, his diet, his dress, his daily habits, where he lived, the scriptures dictated all that as a priest. The priests lived very different than the rest of the people. And the priests lived a very separate life for one purpose, to facilitate that relationship between God and man. He lived a holy life so that he could help others know God. And I'm going to tell you if that the priests in the Old Testament could live holy lives, devoted and separate. And if the royal family can live separate and devoted in 2018, yeah. 
then I know we can do the same thing for God. Because we're a royal priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. Peter said that we are a royal priesthood. And as such, the same, the, the, the queen's governed by the crown, we're governed by the spirit. And like the priests of the Old Testament, our purpose is to facilitate the relationship between God and man. And that we are to help others know God. And God, I want others to know him. I'll tell you what, I have a brother I would love to know God. I've got a niece and nephew I want to know God so bad. And I'm going to tell you, because I do, I'm not giving up my crown. A royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. Holy nation. There's a geopolitical term known as balkanization, and it refers to countries that break up into smaller and, and often hostile units. The world has witnessed balkanization typically when empires have collapsed. So if you remember, you're not going to remember the Ottoman Empire, but maybe Yugoslavia or the Soviet Union when they break down. And now there's like 20 countries that make it up. Now it occurs when there's groups of people within that nation and they divide based on religion or you know, just their differences, their racial differences, whatever it may be. And it often results in violent conflict. And I'll tell you that the purpose of it is to divide. It's, it's to show that, hey, this is, I'm, I'm divided. And in today's world, it's not a concept that's too really far away from us. I can tell you that I, I hear of cities in, our, in certain states and states in our country that they want to divide. It's not so far away. We still, we still struggle with racism and social injustices. They still plague our society. They want to divide. But I'm going to tell you, God's called our church to cast aside those carnal ways of thinking and acting. There shouldn't be any balkanization in the church. Okay, Paul addressed all these ethnic, social, gender divisions and injustices among the Galatian believers. He said, for we are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And that is the truth. We've got to get some things right on this side if we're going to make it to the other. And the world often tries to identify us by those ways, by our race, or maybe it's our profession, our political affiliation. They, they try to, even maybe our failures. But you know what that does? It just limits us. As Christians, we don't just identify with those things. Because we've been brought together to be a part of a holy nation. That's what brings us together. And it transcends color. It transcends, it transcends language, failures, or weaknesses. Because we're united by his spirit. And we share his name. Preserving that unity in the church and caring for our brothers and sisters. That becomes our priority. And that's what the church is about. It's, it's the opposite of that division. Because we are a holy nation. We're a peculiar people. I've been called worse. I like the way the New King James actually says it says that we're God's special people. We're God's. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20 says we were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There's a purpose in being peculiar. It's more than just being different. It's to make a difference. A peculiar people. Why? Why be peculiar? Because the, the, our text says to show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Show forth means to tell, declare it, proclaim it. And I can tell you sometimes our worship may seem peculiar to some, but we have a lot to praise God for. 
He's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I want to summarize it. I'm going to come to an ending here in a minute. But James 1.27 says, to me, just, just puts all this together. And it says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father is this. One, caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And refusing to let the world corrupt. Don't choose between the two. Don't choose. You don't have to choose between the two. Now, the world will accept us for caring for orphans and widows, and to be honest, that's good. That's good. We are to be a light to the world. That's our service to the world. We can't neglect those things. But we can't also neglect to refuse letting the world corrupt us. I'll tell you a story. During World War II, the Germans invaded the island of Crete, and they destroyed villages. They shot a lot of the residents. They took people captive. And a little boy named Alexander... Papaderos. He was one that was imprisoned. He was taken as a kid and taken in, and put in a concentration camp. And there, obviously, we know that he witnessed atrocities and tragedies, things that he shouldn't have had to witness. And the war ended. We know the end of that war. And um, he returned back to Crete. And when he went back to Crete, he became convinced by seeing the people that were there. And he said, there's so much bitterness. He said, we need to let all that go. We need to let it go. And so what he did to help with that process of letting go of the bitterness, the world had just kept flooded in, the enemy flooded in. And so to, to help with that process, he founded the Orthodox Academy of Crete on the same place where the Germans invaded that island. So where all that tragedy took place, he said, no. We're going to go ahead and forget all that, put that behind us, and we're going to start new. And so he founded the, the Academy of Crete, the very place where they invaded, where they caused so much terror. He became a college professor, and one day he had a student ask him a question as, uh, what is the meaning of life? And he pulled out a small round mirror from his wallet, and he explained that during the war, he came upon a motorcycle accident. It was a German soldier's motorcycle, and there was pieces scattered all over and uh, he said he picked up one of the pieces of the broken mirror and he smoothed it and he rounded it out and he carried it as a toy. Just He was fascinated, you know, how it is you get a mirror and you can turn it a certain way and it can shine light. And he was just fascinated that he could shine a light into holes, dark holes and crevices. And, and he just thought it was fascinating. So it was a toy to him. But he said over time it came to symbolize something very significant. And it became a metaphor for something that he might do with his life. That day he held up the piece of mirror and he told the students this. He said, I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into the dark places of this world, into the black places in the hearts of men, and change some things for some people. And he said, perhaps others may see and do likewise. He said, that's the meaning of my life. To think that Alex, he came through such horrific circumstances as a boy, and even though he was wounded and scarred from the hurts of the past, he decided to separate himself from that hatred, from that bitterness that spewed all over. He refused to let the world corrupt him. He made up his mind to make something good out of the bad, and that became his life's purpose, to be a light showing others a path 
out of their darkness. That's who we are. That's who we are. And I want to close with this, a little different. The Old Testament um, speaks, there's several examples where it speaks about the, gate, the city gates. And the ancient cities, there was often an outer gate and an inner gate. And some of the most, one of the most important places of the whole city was in between the gates. A lot of things took place between those gates. It was a meeting place. People met there. Um, a lot of selling and negotiating went on out there in between the gates. But probably the most important thing is that it was used as a place of justice where decisions were made. Decisions were made between the gates. Becoming who you are. Becoming who you are. You know, that's not always easy. I want to take just a second to close and talk to maybe somebody who's between those gates. You may have some decisions to make in becoming who you are. Some of us just haven't fully made it there yet. Okay. Maybe you don't have a made-up mind. Maybe you're just not sure yet. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe what separation and holy living really means. Maybe you're just struggling with some confusion. You know, you've got so much coming in and you just need to funnel it out. Maybe you're just not sure what's right and what's not and you, it's just all so much for you. Maybe you don't know who you are yet. Maybe you're just justifying some things in life just to get by and you're trying to ignore conviction of God. Just put it behind you because it just doesn't feel comfortable. I don't know. I don't know where you are, but I know that there's some people that are between the gates today and that they need to make some decisions. And that's okay. I want you to know I'm no different than you. You saw today, I can look like I have it all together, but <laughs> I promise you I'm always on the brink of falling apart. So I know what it means. And I work every day on becoming who I am. And I can be sometimes the most insecure person you've ever seen. I can overthink something like you would not believe. But I will tell you the reason why I can stand up here and talk to you the way I do is because there are some things that I am secure and I'm confident about. There are some things that I settled between the gates a long time ago. There are some standards that I put in place that are not up for discussion or negotiation. Living for God was a decision that I made between the gates. And when I made that decision, it changed my standards. It raised them. It raised my standards. And it brought them higher. It, I'm not perfect. You know, my, my standards, they, they change the way I speak, the way I think, the way I treat people. All those standards changed when I chose to live for God. And I'm not perfect. And I may not always live up to them. Ask my kids. But I will press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling. And because I have a high calling, I'm not going to live with low standards. Amen.
This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.